This is the Check It Out podcast from the Moraine Valley Library. I'm Troy Swanson, the Library Department Chair, and I'm here with Kip Kozad. Hi, Kip. We uh, are doing a special podcast today about the country of Yemen. Uh, we thought this would be important. Kip's a local expert on Yemen and has spent time there, and uh, in the last two weeks, the government of Yemen has really been turned upside down, and this is a country that uh, many Americans may not know much about, but it's increasingly important when we think about uh, the stability of the Middle East and the global war on terror. I should say that today is February 9th, 2015, and it seems like every day the situation changes, so this might be a good context for some uh, news searching after this if you want to keep up with what's going on. So let's start. Uh, Kip, maybe you could tell us uh, about your background and your uh, connections to Yemen and then we can uh, go from there. Well, first, thanks a lot for having me today, Troy. I think this is a very important topic and how it relates to uh, not only U.S. policy, but you know what's going on in the, in the Middle East. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Yemen from 1988 to 1990. Uh, in what's probably perhaps interesting about that is uh, I came from a you know a pretty uh, homogenous place uh, outside of Kansas City, and it was the first time I spent any time out um, overseas. And so it was my first experience. And our group in the Peace Corps, we were amongst the first to go out into kind of the hinterland, out into the, to the remote villages. And I taught English in, uh, in an area in, uh, in Yemen, not too far from the city of Ib, an uh, area called Badan, where I taught English uh, as a second language for two years. Um, and when I came back, um, I, was a, I was a teacher um, in, in Kansas City for a while, and um, I also began working on my master's degree and, um, in history. And so the focus of my master's degree in history was Middle Eastern studies, and I uh, focused on Yemeni migration. Um, I thought that it was very interesting that uh, the Yemeni, Yemeni people, though they have traveled all over the world in, in various capacities, they also have kind of this intrinsic, uh, especially in the center part of, of the country, this uh, kind of remoteness and this inclusiveness. And wherever they go around the world, they, they tend to maintain kind of these two entities, this, this idea of be moving globally throughout the world, but also maintaining their distinct identity wherever they go. And so my, my master's thesis really kind of brings in this dialectic um, of Yemen. For those of us that, uh, like myself perhaps, that are challenged geographically with Middle East geography, um, of course we can look on Google and just see where it's located, but maybe you could just describe if you had to, where Yemen is in the, in the scheme of the Middle East? Sure. Uh, Yemen it has a very strategic uh, location um, historically. And if you, look, you know, if you look at it over time, it always seems to be um, both at the epicenter of a lot of things that are happening and also kind of on the fringe of everything happening based on where it's at. It's located um, along the Indian Ocean. Uh, it also uh, borders the Red Sea. It is just south of Saudi Arabia, so there is a lot of uh, political dynamics with Saudi Arabia, both modern and ancient, because Saudi Arabia obviously is the center of the Islamic world, mm -hmm. with Mecca and Medina there. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, obviously across the, across the Red Sea from Africa. It also, because of the Indian Ocean, has ties to India, and then further afield. And so, um, you know, in ancient times, it, it served as kind of a locus of, of trade. 
And in modern times, the British set up a colony in South Yemen and used it as a coaling station um, from the Suez Canal out into their uh, crown jewel in India. So because of that, it was very strategic. Uh, for the United States, obviously, they actually used uh, the port of Aden as a, as a station, uh, as you're probably well aware. The, the USS Cole was, uh, was uh, hit uh, prior to the 9-11 attacks, um, and you know, it was there basically because of its strategic location. Because keep in mind, on the other side of, of the um, Arabian Peninsula is, is the uh, Persian Gulf, which obviously is significant for oil. And so um, you know, Yemen is pretty much at the center of a lot of things that are going on in the world. So in the last few weeks, we've seen major turmoil, and I've seen it pop up in the news, which it caught, which it caught my eye, but I'm sure that someone um, who is really studying Yemen and aware of the situation of Yemen, this didn't maybe just come out of nowhere. So maybe you could give us um, maybe a lead-up. What, what's been going on in, in Yemen the last couple years, perhaps, and then take us to what happened and then you know what are the what are our concerns sure yeah i mean it's there's a lot of moving parts in yemen it's it's very complex if anybody who studies yemen it's not you know it's not something that you can just kind of pick up in in, in a couple minutes because of the dynamic of the situation but um, recently, a group in the north known as the Houthis, who uh, rose up basically in 2004 and began to uh, attack uh, government elements, the government also uh, pushed back. Um, really, it's kind of difficult, but to, to understand uh, the Houthis, you also have to understand that uh, Yemen was ruled by um, a strong man. His name was Ali Abdullah Saleh for 22 years. And Ali Abdullah Saleh's intention as president was to pass on the leadership to his son, which um, most Yemenis were um, very much against. Um, the Houthis reside, this, this uh, rebel group resides in the very north of the country. Yemen is divided basically between two major factions of Islam. In the north, you have the Shia group known as the Zaydis. And um, they, you know, they, they reside, they're about 30% of the population in, um, of all of Yemen. And then the other group are the Sunni group, um, known as the Shafi, and they make up the majority uh, of Yemen. And so um, Ali Abdullah Saleh, interestingly enough, was a Zaidi. He was a Shia, the, the minority group that, that's in Yemen. Um, but he was able to rule by basically... Uh, making sure that all the groups within Yemen were either paid off or that they had some kind of role in the government. And he ensured that. He was very, very adept at doing that. When the, when the um, uh, Houthis rose up, um, they, Ali Abdullah Saleh fought them. And um, initially, they, uh, the government was successful in that they were able to kill the founder of the Houthis. But he, uh, he was merely replaced by his brother, who uh, now is the, the leader of the Houthis. Well, moving kind of fast forward um, to 2000, uh, 2011, uh, there was uh, Yemen experienced what a lot of countries in the, in the Arab world experienced, was the Arab Spring. They went through kind of this uh, uprising. People took to the streets, uh, largely because uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh wasn't meeting a lot of their demands. And uh, Yemen by that time economically was in very, very dire straits. And so um, the people were able, through um, through form, binding or bounding together, to unseat uh, the president. 
Uh, what is interesting about that is that in a lot of cases in, in the Middle East, if the, if the president goes, he usually, usually is either kicked out of the country or he's thrown into prison or something really bad happens to him. But under this agreement, um, he, uh, he was able to um, receive, um, um, what's the word? Uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh was able to receive immunity. And he continued to play a role in the politics that were going on. Ali Abdullah Saleh was replaced by uh, uh, Abdul uh, Mansour Hadi, is his name. And um, Hadi uh, was from the South originally, and he did not have the support that Ali Abdullah Saleh did, nor did he have the adeptness that Ali Abdullah Saleh had. And so what happened was Ali Abdullah Saleh ultimately had designs to take over the government again, either that or pass it along to his son. And so he did something uh, rather unusual. He began to support the Houthis in the north. Remember that both of both Ali Abdullah Saleh and the Houthi are, are Zaydis. And so, and, you know, he did this below the table. In fact, there's not a whole lot of, you know, everybody knows that this is going on, but it's not, it's not a, something that's very visible. And so his intention was to cr create so much instability in Yemen that ultimately the people would ask him to step in and kind of come back to power. Right? Save the day. Save the day. Yeah. And so the Houthis, um, they ran on, you know, they, their, their emphasis was on um, several concepts that are very popular in Yemen. For one, they were anti-corruption. One of the big problems in Yemen, as in a lot of countries in, in the Middle East, was uh, is this idea that there's you know there's the government rules through corrupt measures, and so the Houthis were saying we will end corruption in Yemen if if we come to power. Um, secondly, um, the Houthis are anti-American, and where this fits in is um, for those that are, uh, are aware, um, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula it has continued to grow in Yemen. They are obviously one of the um, you know, big problems in, in, the, in the war on terror. Mm -hmm. And uh, the United States has been carrying on a drone, drone attacks against uh, al-Qaeda members. But unfortunately, in this drone attacks, because they're in being... Yemen. In, in Yemen. Yemen. Yeah, in Yemen, in kind of the eastern area where al-Qaeda uh, resides, they have been carrying out attacks through drones. And if it just killed al-Qaeda members, probably Yemen would be somewhat okay with that, although, you know, they're carrying out in, in a country without a whole lot of authority other than, you know, people in the, in the, in the uh, Yemeni government. Most of the people in Yemen see this as a huge problem, that they're allowing a foreign entity to come in and carry out attacks on Yemeni citizens within Yemen. But on top of that, uh, to compound the issue, these drones are killing innocent people. Families. Um, there was one that killed that, a whole a whole people during a whole group of people during a wedding, and so these these so-called uh, collateral damage. Collateral damage, yeah, accidental right? Accidental or, or whatever. Sure. Right. And so because of this, the Yemenis see American interests not residing in uh, in the you know trying to help the Yemeni people, but in American self-interest to destroy Al Qaeda, and in the process killing innocent, some innocent people. Obviously, they're killing a lot of bad guys using drone attacks, but it's also killing innocent Yemeni civilians. So uh, this policy is really not helping American interest in Yemen, and it's complicating it. And this was another problem that Ali Abdullah Saleh had when he was in power, is that he was double-dealing. 
he knew that American aid was contingent on the ability for the United States to carry out these drone attacks. So he was, Elliot Dulles-Sala would allow the drone attacks to occur, but on the other hand, he was making sure that Al-Qaeda continued to stay there, because as long as Al-Qaeda was there, the aid would keep flowing. <laughs> and so he was, he was double-dealing, wow. and the people were aware of this, right, getting back to kind of the corruption me- measures. Uh-huh. And the Houthis struck a chord with this because they're anti-American, and, um, you know, they're, they're against these drone attacks. But what makes this even more complicated, we talk about all these moving parts, is the Houthis are staunchly anti-Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. They are fighting this war for the hearts and minds of Yemen. And there are two completely different entities, both being anti-American, obviously, but uniquely Yemen in its context. Wow. Okay, so, I mean, the the complexity is... I mean, I, I feel like I almost need a scorecard to keep track of everybody. So could you then bring us up to the recent events that actually helped cause this podcast to come about and, and these uh, key news going on? Sure. So um, when Ali Abdullah Saleh was forced to resign, uh, as I said, um, Hadi took over uh, uh, as president. He did not have the support, as I mentioned, um, of, of the general population that Ali Abdullah Saleh was able to garner. And so... Because of this, the, the Houthis uh, gained in significance. They, they began to take over areas of Yemen um, shortly after the Arab Spring. Um, the outside, uh, there were some outside parties that helped negotiate kind of this peace with Ali Abdullah Saleh leaving with the new president. And then uh, they, had, they had this idea that they would form kind of this confederacy in Yemen where um, many different provinces in Yemen would kind of have their own entity, their own identity, but they would be kind of sharing power uh, in general, uh-huh. but um, the Houthis were against this. Um, some of the major uh, political parties, uh, one being uh, Islam, which is the kind of the religious, the the, um, the Sunni religious party, similar to say what the Muslim Brotherhood was, and in, in, if you're familiar with that, in mm-hmm. Egypt. And so there were people who were against this this agreement. It was really kind of doomed to failure because of all the entities. I haven't even gotten into the Southern Secessionist Movement. We'll get to that in a minute. Like I said, there's so many different uh, components. But um, so, uh, the, but the, the real winners in all of this perhaps were the Houthis, who were able, because of, of the disagreement with Ali Abdullah Saleh uh, being anti-American, who, and also in disagreement with this new plan that, that they had set forth, they were able to militarily gain province by province until recently they took over um, Sana'a, the capital. Right. And um, they basically told the political parties that they need to get their act together or the Houthis are going to take over. Mm-hmm. Really a coup. Um, Hadi, knowing that... Um, he really had two choices, either being a puppet of this new, um, you know, this new rebellion that was going on, or to resign and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And he chooses the latter. He resigned power. Um, and then just this last week, um, the, the Houthis took over uh, power in Sana'a and are basically the rulers right now of, of, Yemen, okay. of Yemen. And so they control the capital and... Land-wise, that they still have the provinces that they had before, but is it all of the territory, or there's still areas? I mean, is this is this now a civil war, or is everyone just like, oh, now you're in charge? Okay. Yeah, it's it, they're not really on the verge of civil war, although there's been a lot of talk that that could happen. 
um, soon. And civil war is not something new to Yemen. Uh, they had a, a significant one back in the 60s that overthrew the, this old kind of imam regime, also from kind of the northern uh, part of the country. Um, and also they had another civil war in 94 between the north and the south. In 1990, the north and the south, the south was communist for a while, um, they merged. And that was actually when I was there in Yemen when I was preparing to leave, the, the south and the north came together. And um, shortly thereafter, the, the south realized that um, the, you know, this, this unity wasn't in their best interest because the north basically was dominating the south. And so they, they tried to rise up to, to try to get their independence, and it was unsuccessful in 94. And there's some discussion about because of the way that the government is, is weakened in Yemen, that now's the time to split apart again. And so there's, there's this fear that with the Houthis in power, they being you know, this, this Shia movement in the north, and the, and the southern part who uh, don't really have any affiliation with them at all and, and not really excited about this group being in power, that now, because the government's weakened, that now's the time to split apart. So there's some discussion about that going on as well. Now, so um, let's talk about implications, concerns, and just to get to the... I don't want to get away from the people. I mean, where, where, what is the, what's happening with the actual people of Yemen? I mean, obviously not everyone is a soldier. Everyone's, there's, I'm sure there's regular folks that are watching. And So what's happening with the, the people on the ground? Yeah, and there's, um, especially if you move south of the capital um, in kind of the, um, the, the, the highlands area and towns like Ib and Thais, which are um, kind of the central area, um, they are taking to the streets. They're very unhappy with uh, most of them, with the Houthis coming to power. There are some, you know, Houthis obviously have garnered a lot of support. And the reason that the support is because Yemen is in economic duress. They really have been um, significantly since the 1990s. And it's been steadily uh, getting worse. Um, you know, just to kind of put it in perspective, from 2009 to 2013, the poverty rate increased in Yemen from 42% to 55%. And so there is a lot of poverty um, in Yemen, and with the, the instability, uh, even more. Uh, one group that's really, really, and I haven't even approached this topic yet, but uh, one group that's really um, uh, against what's going on in Yemen are the Saudis. And the reason the Saudis are upset is because the Houthis um, are getting support, we think, from the Iranians, both of them being Shia. Um, and so the, the Saudis and the, and the Iranians are arch enemies. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that Saudi wants is a, a client state of the Iranians on their southern border. And so they began to pull out a lot of their aid from Yemen because of the Houthi takeover. And, you know, historically, the Saudis have provided a lot. There's really a love-hate relationship between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. A lot of Yemenis over, over the years um, go up to the oil fields and work, and then they make money that they send back to Yemen. Um, in the 1990s, when, uh, when the Yemenis um, uh, supported Saddam Hussein, didn't really support Saddam Hussein's uh, invasion of Kuwait, but they, you know, in, in essence, they did because they were, you know, strong um, supporters of, of Iraq because Iraq had given them a lot of aid. Um, the Saudis um, said, "Well, you know, you do that." They expelled somewhere around 800,000 Yemenis who were working in in the oil fields in around the oil fields in Saudi Arabia, which decimated the economy. That was really 
the, the beginning of the economic duress in, in Yemen, and it, it continually um, got worse. So in terms, and as you mentioned, this, the, the fear of this battle between Iran and Saudi Arabia, but there, if, if Yemen continues as a failed state, like if things get worse, then does this ripple in other places or other ways across uh, the Middle East? Well, I think that the you know the big the, the big issue is um, you know Al Qaeda and Arabian Peninsula as far as the United States is concerned because whenever you know if you have a failed state and the economy is getting bad, a lot of times people look for support from whoever that would provide them support, and you know Al Qaeda and Arabian Peninsula are out in kind of the eastern hinterland of Yemen. And, you know, the last thing anybody wants, even in Yemen, is for al-Qaeda to gain strength in Yemen. That would pose all kinds of problems. Um, and so, you know, that's the big problem. I mean, you know, from my perspective, drones aren't going to solve the issue of defeating al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Only kind of returning Yemen to the way it was, say, in the 80s, when a lot of countries were providing economic aid, that there is some form of government stability that is providing, you know, more for the people. And that states like Saudi Arabia and other Gulf countries allow the Yemenis to work in, in their countries and send money home that bolsters the economy in mm -hmm. other ways. I mean, Yemen is mostly an agricultural country. They have very uh, little industry to speak of. And so, you know, outside of feeding themselves agriculturally, you know, they also depend on uh, their citizens going abroad, making money that they can send back as remittances. And I know, uh, to make this uh, very local, we have Yemeni students on campus, correct? We do. We have um, several dozen. Um, you know, I've heard uh, roughly around 40. I'm not really sure of the exact number. And some are international students. Some um, families live here locally. And so then this would have, you know, the, the changes in Yemen, I'm sure they feel with family members still at home, financially, and I don't know if you have, if you got, you're in contact with any of those students or not. I do. I, I have um, strong contact with the Yemeni uh, community here, and um, they are, uh, especially the international students, they are going through uh, a very, very difficult time. The, the economy, because of, for example, Saudi Arabia, um, denying aid, that the Houthis obviously coming in um, don't really know yet how to run a government, and so the economy is literally grounded to a halt. Mm. And so, um, you know, students who are looking for tuition from home, and tuition, you know, for by Yemeni standards, exceedingly expensive here in the United States, um, it's drying up. And so they're trying to figure out how they can stay in the United States if they can't uh, get the tuition that they need to continue to school, to go to school here then they're going to have to return home. And that means returning to all the chaos that's going on right, right down in Yemen. Yeah, very serious. Um, okay, well, I want to thank you. I don't know if there's any final thoughts you wanted to share. Um, I think that this is enlightening for me because, I, I mean, I know Yemen and I've seen it in the news, but it's a country that I think is um, easily overlooked by the United States, which may be part of its challenge. So um, I think this was a good conversation. Yeah, I just, you know, the, the, I guess the parting thing is that, um, you know, having spent uh, two years in Yemen and getting to know the people in Yemen, they are, I mean, even if you come across the Yemenis that go to school here, they are exceedingly genuine people, um, very gracious, um, will give you anything that they have. 
That's, I mean, this is, the, this is the nature and the quality of the Yemenis. But there's also a quality of Yemenis that, that I think a lot of pundits um, overlook, and that's their, their ability to mediate. I mean, they have this history, this long history of mediation. And so if this would have happened in a lot of other Arab countries, you would see full-blown civil war, like you're seeing in Syria. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about the Sunnis and the Shias in, in Yemen, but they are bound in ways unlike other Arab countries. So you're not seeing, even though that there is this identity, and we hope that these, it doesn't splinter in you know, something that hasn't happened in the past, but the Sunnis and the Shias are you know, largely um, very similar other than kind of these specific components of Islam. But these, these people have been able to live harmoniously for the most part in Yemen for centuries, if not for millennia. And they have this great ability to, to kind of come together and resolve disputes, whether they be tribal disputes, whether they be government disputes. And so my hope is that the Yemenis, using kind of this quality and this unique character that's, that exists in Yemen, can kind of find a way out of the troubles that they're in. I think, you know, I'm hopeful that that will happen. Right now, it's, it looks so bleak, but I do know the Yemeni character, and I believe that, that um, ultimately that's what's going to happen. Great. Well, let's hope that's a good end on a note of hope. So thank you for your time, and thank you to our listeners. Thank you for having me, Troy.